The new Super Beats Heart Chews Advanced is now supercharged with CoQ10. Support your healthy CoQ10 levels and blood pressure with two chews a day. Visit RadioBeatsBeets.com and save 15% with promo code DEAL. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. Let's go back in time to 1932 as Converse brings you historic footage of the legendary original Celtics with whom all great professional teams are compared. We have now taken over your radio. Richie Guerin is about to show you the most important step in getting past a man. It's the first one. And Oscar will inbound it. The men in green, the Milwaukee Bucks, that's Al Cinder against Bellamy. It has Jordan. Allen shakes free. Gets two! Gilmore on to go in the first quarter for the Cow Palace. Here's Barry. And welcome back to the Over and Back Classic NBA podcast at hardworkprocessing.com. I am Jason Mann. With me, as usual, is Rich Krejci. Rich Krejci, with you. Yeah, uh, we got a very uh, a current but uh, historical game to talk about here. It's uh, it's the talk of the, the basketball and NBA universe, uh, and, and well worth it. It was an incredible, incredible Game Seven. That's what we're of course talking about. This yeah, absolutely. The, yeah, the 2016 NBA Finals Game Seven between the Golden State Warriors, Cleveland Cavaliers, Cleveland pulling off the amazing upset, coming down. Uh, coming back from being down three games to one for the first time in the NBA Finals, only the fourth time in 19 Game 7s in the Finals, which the road team was able to uh, pull off the upset. So uh, all the amazing, crazy things that you could possibly imagine, the the, the Cavs overcame, beating the 73-win greatest regular season team of all time, at least in terms of, of, of wins. Um, maybe the greatest upset in NBA Finals history. Probably we'll we'll talk about a little bit more about uh, that, mm-hmm. and you know, kind of get into some of the history that was made. But 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 no question, it was absolutely um a r- really fun, uh, amazing game. Um, a really big game in terms of what it kind of meant for what we're going to think of the Cavs and the Warriors going forward. Of course, that's always something to change based on you know what happens next year and in in, in seasons. Uh, ahead of now, but you know, it, we can definitely say that it's you know uh, quite earth shaking in terms of a uh, you know what what we kind of thought going in before the series and what we what we think now, and it definitely worth some uh, consideration, even though obviously it uh, happened recently. But we're, I think we're going to talk about it within just kind of put it in historical context, talk about some other things that were similar and were different, and just try to have a little bit of fun, uh, talk about some basketball. So, 
Absolutely. And even if, you know, and one thing I do want to mention before we move on is that even um, if, you know, you and I were obviously basketball nerds, we, we love basketball, we adore it, you know, people that a lot of people listening to this, you guys are, are, you know, huge basketball fans, that sort of stuff. But it was actually from the public conscience, too. This game was also, I mean, I, I believe I saw the figure that it was the highest rated one since game six of 98, which, you know, of course, the Michael Jordan Utah Jazz, you know, the Michael Jordan shot his final game, that sort of stuff. I mean, that, that we're talking about a lot of games, a lot of years, a lot of stuff. And this is the one that really just it, it seemed to grab the public conscience. I know there were people all, I, you know, I'm you know a huge wrestling fan or whatever. And, and you are as well. I was covering Money in the Bank that night, uh, which was a you know WF pay-per-view that night. And I had friends that were saying that would sh- show up anytime to watch wrestling. They're, they're always watching wrestling. They don't care about, you know, the basketball or whatever. Oh, uh, no, I'm not going to be there. I'm going to watch basketball. I'm like, you know, you guys don't even like basketball. But like it, it mattered that I had my mom say, oh, what time is the game on? And like, you know what I mean? Like, and she doesn't really care all that much but it's just there was something about the public conscience of it being a game seven of it being lebron of it being steph curry of it being all these different things that we talk about coming into it and then the game doesn't disappoint either which is the other really awesome part about it is that we could have all went oh man i can't wait for this game and then you know the warriors went by 30 and it's like oh well that's no fun but it wasn't that it was down to the final minutes and there's these these stunning plays too that happened in the last few minutes as well that just really just add the, to the whole storybook thing of it like of course the lebron dunk um the LeBron missed, or the LeBron, uh, the LeBron block, I, I meant to say, but the missed dunk that LeBron had too, that was one that, like, man, if he hits that, can you just imagine? Like, how much is at stake with just, like, LeBron dunking over Draymond Green to basically seal the game for the Cavs, like, just a monstrous dunk after just all this stuff happening? Like, that would have just been an incredible, incredible moment. But this game wasn't short on those moments regardless. Yeah, and even that moment, I mean, even what happened, him not getting the dunk, but getting fouled, falling on the mm-hmm. ground, looking like he really injured his wrist, but... You know, dusting himself off. He missed the first free throw, but he got the second one, which basically uh, clinched the game. Um, you know, that was pretty incredible what happened to. But you're right. Obviously, if he had actually landed that dunk, um, it, it, it would have been just it would have blown I mean, that, that, that yeah. play gets replayed. Yeah, that play gets replayed right. like 40 million times in our life. Uh, of course, you know, he, he did that amazing block right before then, which is is, I think, going to be the iconic yes. moment of, of uh, this game. Although there were several uh, very good ones as well. So, uh, yeah, yeah, lots of great stuff. Lots of really it just, it, it's really why we watch basketball for for this kind of um great classic game memorable moments uh you know between you know basically the two biggest stars in the league and and you know two um mo- you know most important teams in the league for the season um I, I, it all you know you came it was a big surprise who won just because of what the warriors did this season but um you know that, that's also why they play the game because sometimes it happens in a way you don't expect absolutely uh, so we did a series last year. Um, we we went through every game seven in NBA Finals history, all eighteen of them previous to this, and we kind of rated them as the greatest of all time. Um, if we're rethinking that, where I, I'm not necessarily going to put a number on it, but though you can if you want to. But where are we kind of? <laughs> no, Jason, we need to define it right now. <laughs> like you answer this question definitively, you do not dance around sure. it. This is not what you do in. 2016. You know, there you go. Well, I, I, I'm sorry. Rank every single one of them. Okay. Um, <laughs> right now. So we did. We did kind of put them in order before. We had uh, the. I'll just go through like the, the top four were the the Spurs and Heat uh, in 2013 was number four. Number three was the uh, Celtics and Lakers from 1962, which went into um, overtime. That was the uh, uh, Frank Selvey missed the uh, famous shot at the end, and then um, and then Celtics were able to carry it from there. Uh, Number two was the Celtics and Hawks from 1957, which was a double overtime game with the uh, the famous final play of um, uh, the Hawks throwing a uh, cross court uh, 
pass hitting it off the backboard and um and Bob Pettit barely being able to uh, just just missing the uh, tip in uh, and then number one being the uh, Lakers and Pistons in 88 with, uh, you, you know, just crazy back and forth. The Pistons almost coming up with a dramatic rally, but it falling just short. And then the uh, the, the famous final scene of the uh, fans rushing as um, the Pistons are in ball inbounding it. And then Isaiah crashing into uh, Magic Johnson to uh, to end it. And, um, uh, you know, so, so a, lot, a lot of dramatic ones uh, in there as well. There's obviously the you know one of the more famous uh games of all time from 84 with the uh you know the, the first magic and uh, bird uh duel uh in for the, the for the first series for them and the and the that going to game seven you know so some other great ones as well uh, you where are you kind of thinking this you did is it in that top five is it uh, you know clear somewhere for you where where are you kind of thinking I would definitely put it in that top five. Like, again, I, I was just talking about the ranking thing. I, I have an impossible <laughs> task. Like, I hate ranking sure. things like that because like, I would change it like yeah. 3,000 well, times. You'd ask me tomorrow and I completely change my top five. But um, definitely in that top five, I think, uh, I mean, my initial thought of, of recent vintage as far as like games that I've watched or game sevens, NBA Finals uh, game sevens that I've watched, it, it, it really it's hard to argue with this one being – you, you know, among the best, if not the best. I mean, you have, of course, 84, like you said, 88, which are both really fantastic games. It's right up there. It has to be just neck and neck with those. Uh, again, it's really hard to choose those. But when you talk about how much stake there was in this game as well, I think that's what really adds a little bit more for me. I mean, of course, you had Magic Bird uh, two historic franchises in 84, so that sort of helps there. Uh, 88, of course, you have the really close game. You have the Pistons, you know, kind of a budding dynasty. Yeah. And, of course, Magic and the Lakers still doing their thing. So... Um, those had just arguably about as many stakes, but I mean, we're talking about just a guy in LeBron really defining his entire career path for a lot of people. This was like, like seeing what the, the narrative is surrounding him after that game, uh, compared to what it was maybe, you know, a week prior or two weeks prior. I mean, that's a, uh, you know, for a guy like LeBron, you can't say a superstar making performance, but maybe like a legendary all time great making performance even though i don't i don't think it necessarily needed that i think he was already kind of there but for some people it was for some people it was a hey he did this without miami he did this without wade he kind of did it on his own and the comeback and it's in cleveland and there's there's just a lot there that it's a sort of unpack yeah i mean it's an added boost to that argument there's no question about it i mean i i, I think that's a this is another huge thing on his resume he already had great things and, and obviously his career stands up with just about anyone um but yeah i i mean i think it is sort of a a final shut up to the you, to the critics of LeBron who, you know, the the, the silly people who still want to, you know, kind of nitpick at um, everyone, everyone at the things that he does and, and don't you know appreciate uh, the greatness that we've had. You know, we've, we've gone on about right. that, um, how people do that. And um, but but yeah, I, mean, I think there's just any like question about, you know, clutchness or anything like that um i it has to have i mean <laughs> hopefully, hopefully yeah. i mean you never know yeah. again you know there's um i think there'll be less of it i don't i'm i doubt it will go away of course but um you know which is fine yeah, yeah for me it's um you know it's standing in terms of like star power and what the results mean in terms of history it's really up there i think with 69 and 84 uh 69 of course we've talked about it uh, many times during the wrestlemania podcast with it be, being bill russell's last stand with the celtics and uh you know the 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 will chamberlain um elgin baylor jerry west lakers uh falling just short you know, as wilt is uh leaves the game and his coach refuses to put him back in and the lakers uh, try to rally, but are but it f- fall short. Uh, Don Nelson having that uh, 
that crazy uh, lucky bounce on his jumper to uh, to basically seal it. So uh, a lot of great things there. 84 didn't have that one dramatic moment, but it was just a, you know, it, it was kind of a rising out of the ashes moment for the NBA with with this rivalry finally coming to a head after five five years after their big uh, um a championship game in the NCAA finals and, um, and, and where the league was going to, you know, take off from there. And, uh, and also I think it was similar to the 2013 finals, the heat and the Spurs, another, of course, you know, great LeBron moment where he really stepped up and hit some big shots. And, um, you know, in terms of being like competitive and dense, competitive and intense throughout, but not, you know, sort of being an ugly, not, not a completely ugly game, but just definitely like a, um, a game where you could tell the nerves were being felt a game where it was slowed down. It wasn't the most beautiful basketball in the world, but it was so intense. And, you know, even though I didn't really, I didn't have a strong rooting interest. I was slightly rooting for, for the uh, Cavs. I mean, I know I'm, I'm from Ohio, so I have more, more Cavs people in my life. I was happy for them to do it and happy for LeBron. Um, and, you know, and, and obviously looking for Cleveland to break that, that championship streak. So I was pulling for them. But if the Warriors had won, I would have been totally fine with it. But I was, you know, my nerves were just, um, you know, uh, just the excitement of the game and just the intensity of the game really brought that out in me. Yeah, and and of you know I was kind of going through some of the recent games and thinking about that as well. Of course, it was '94, which was a super close and, and and pretty fun game. You know, with Ewing trying to win it for New York and 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 Houston sort of emerging as a post Jordan you know team you know franchise that that has a chance to win a title. So there's fun in that one, but I, I don't know. I like it's still I don't know if it matches up with this guy just because the game itself wasn't as good. You know, we've seen some clips and I've seen uh, the full game of that. I remember watching it and and going back on YouTube and stuff and watching it and it's fine. It's okay, but like it doesn't match this game. I don't think. And then, you know, 2013, like you mentioned, the Heat Spurs, a very good game as well. I remember that being a very emotional, very, you know, but still, I just feel like this one's got a little bit more. And then 2005 was just <laughs> like 81 to 74 with the Pistons and the Spurs. And it's like the, you know, that era of basketball or whatever, which is still a fine game. It was fun. But yeah, it's like that it was just yeah. like, it's really like a, not a very good game. So it's like, it was kind of close. And it's like the big deal. But it's like, I, I don't know. Like, I just remember hating that game when it was over. I was just like, ah, oh, God, good. Go away. Yeah, <laughs> like, the, the, the 2021 as well with the uh the um another ugly although another intense game but more ugly than than this one certainly the lakers and uh celtics in, in 2010 as well. yeah. so yeah i um yeah i mean i i think i i do want to kind of defend the overall series a little bit because i feel like there was a lot of like this was a really bad series other than game seven out there and yeah, I mean, it was the first uh, series, I believe, that each had a, a margin of greater than 10 points in in the uh, um, in the end result. But I did feel like I was regularly watching, you know, basketball. That was pretty fascinating. Um, you know, when Cleveland was taking it to Golden State um, in uh, uh, in games um, in games three and in um game six, I really did think like, you know, wow, like Cleveland would have. Am I really, you know. Is what I'm seeing true? Like, can I believe this? Like, I just feel like it was like a, you know, one side was getting a huge flurry and putting the other side on the ropes. And then, you know, Golden State would come back and respond and they had big games. And um, I didn't feel like it was boring, especially after the first two games. Like the first two games, it was a, it felt a little dispiriting and it felt like Cleveland didn't have much of a chance. Then Cleveland came and thrashed them in game three. And, and after that, I felt like it was... You know, it, it was reasonably close or, you know, throughout the most of those games, even if even while there were large margins at play, it's still there were 
entertaining and fascinating things to kind of watch as it was going on. It helped that the crowds for both sides were really amazing and that they yeah. they were pretty engaged. It was mostly um it was mostly home teams winning up to those big margins. I feel like when you're watching home teams you know, um, playing really well, you're going to get those crowds to be really excited and that's going to add some entertainment value, even if it's not necessarily that, that competitive of a game. Yeah. And, and I think even with those blowouts, I, I think you made a good point about those. And I enjoyed some of the blowouts and some of the you know large deficits because you saw like adjustments being made and like on a game to game level, it was like, all right, well, this is what we need to do to, you know, and then like you saw, you know, of course, the big Cleveland games were like, oh, my God, Kyrie Irving is like emerging as like a peak Allen Iverson-esque player. Like, this is pretty cool. Like, even if they are winning and pulling away and you got LeBron, you know, dropping 40 and, you know, LeBron and Kyrie putting 40 in together. So, like, you saw these different things. I pretty much agree that since, you know. Yeah, those first few games um, where Golden State was just kind of pulling away and you were basically like, oh, geez, Cleveland has no chance. And, oh, my God, they're, they're just going to get thrashed here. And then it's more, you know, more interest was in, OK, what do they do in the offseason? Do they trade Kevin Love or do you get rid of Kyrie Irving or what do you do? Or is LeBron leaving? You know, that was the intrigue of the first few games. But basically, since it got to 3-1 and basically since Cleveland started showing some life at that point, I really was fascinated by everything because it was like, OK, you have to watch every game because you never know. Um, you, you know, one more game and, and Golden State wins. Like, that's all there is to it. So you have to be enthralled. And the thing with is, uh, with it as well is that even if the Cavs are up 15, I never at any point thought, okay, Golden State's dead. Because it's Golden State. Like, right. you know, I mean, like, we saw them against Oklahoma City. It's like, oh, well, they're dead and buried. Oh, wait, in five minutes they can score, you know, 15 points. Like, that's not hard for that team to do. So I really was never, there was never a point where I said, oh, well, this game is toast. Forget it. Because it's like, well, no, Steph Curry hits three threes in a row and then they're right back in this thing. So you never, uh, it might be a result of that team being the way they are and how quickly they can acquire points and how quickly they can score on you and how quickly their runs can happen that I never really the bull, the blowouts weren't really bo- boring for me it wasn't just like okay well they're just going to slow it down and it's over now it was like no it's Golden State man they can come back in a blink of an eye so I, I was always intrigued even if the deficit was, was pretty high in some of the games yeah, absolutely. And, it, you know, it, it, according to basketball reference, it was actually the fifth closest uh, NBA finals <laughs> ever in terms of a cumulative point differential, which is uh, interesting. I mean, it, yeah, it was basically it was tied in the score uh, through through game six and then um, yeah, game seven was four point margin. So it was obviously very it ended up being a close series in, in that respect, even if the individual games other than game seven were not close. But uh, so, you know, looking at where um some of the uh, your performances in um, in Game Seven uh, rank among all times of that was was kind of interesting. Yeah, so uh, I, I went using the game score metric uh, that Basketball Reference has. Uh, of course, this is only since 1984, so it's a relatively small sample size, but still we have a good little amount of games in here. But uh, I thought what was was striking to me is the best Finals Game Seven game score of all time, 35.9 is owned by Draymond Green, who had 32 points, 15 rebounds, 9 assists on 11 of 15 shooting, 5 of 7 from 3. I think we kind of forget. Like, really, I didn't... I knew he was having a great game, of course, because in the first half he was the big part of, of the Warriors. But then when it was all said and done, like I completely forgot that. Oh my God, Draymond had like a historically great game in this, and game score pretty much just says, yeah, it is the best, uh, you know, since nineteen eighty four. Of course, when the, the metric will go back to the best game seven game score of all time. Um, <clears throat> Yeah, almost had the uh, the fourth uh, game seven triple double uh, or, or game seven triple double as well. Um, so it's just it, it, it's really fascinating that Draymond was that way. Uh, LeBron, he's uh, fifth all time in terms of uh, game seven game scores at twenty three point one. Kyrie Irving is twentieth all time, and Kevin Love thirty fifth. Uh, even though he only had nine points and fourteen rebounds, but still a pretty solid game uh, all yeah. around. So that's four guys right there in you know that top fifty of all time game scores. 
uh, for Game 7. Of course, relatively small sample size, but still pretty significant. And Draymond being the highest is, is definitely a fascinating fact as well. Yeah, absolutely. And um, yeah, that's really going to be interesting um, because, of course, the the series really turned around when Draymond was suspended um, for game five of the series. And and that, you know, the cat, you know, um, LeBron and Kyrie both scoring 41 points in that game and, you know, giving the Cavs life and they ended up going from there. Um, but, but then he, of course, he's really the, the warrior who delivered in, uh, this series. So early in, in game seven. So it's, um, you know, he almost had a chance to redeem himself to a certain extent, even if he needed redeeming, which is another question, but, um, but it didn't quite work out, even though, again, he had, um, you know, at least by this measurement, uh, the best finals game seven of all time. And certainly, you know, 32 points, 15 rebounds, nine assists. Um, he's going to be on that list. Uh, <laughs> you know, even though he did most of it, um, in the, uh, uh, in the first half and the second half, he's quieter, but, um, you know, he's obviously one of the great defenders, uh, too, even though it was uh, hard for, um, to, to uh, stop, uh, LeBron James. So, you know, for game seven, LeBron wasn't particularly efficient, even though he got his numbers and, and obviously played really well, but, um, uh, yeah, I, I think that's really interesting that, um, yeah, the, the, uh, you know, that Draymond was able to, um, uh, on one level, um, be so great. And then the other level, of course, uh, you know, be a have a large res- amount of responsibility for his team, um, you know, f- failing to win the series. Absolutely. And then uh, points. Uh, I-, I did this as well from Basketball Reference. Uh, this is since 1964. So this is the most points in a game seven. So we have a little bit of bigger of a data set. Uh, Draymond's 32 is six all time. Uh, LeBron, he's 11th all time with his uh, 27. Uh, Kyrie Irving is 14th all time with his 26. Uh, and then Steph Curry is 55th all time. So Draymond, again, right in that, uh, you know, top 10 of all time game seven uh, scoring outputs, which, like you said, uh, of course, it being mostly in the first half, too, uh, is also a remarkable achievement for him and, and just a really cool thing that's kind of getting overlooked a little bit in the hysteria, rightfully so, of you know the Cavs winning uh, uh, the series and the championship for Cleveland. But uh, yeah, Draymond, don't uh, don't forget about his awesome game. So yeah, and if you look at where LeBron <clears throat> ranks among the best Finals MVPs during the series, so he had twenty nine point seven points, eleven point three rebounds, eight point nine assists, two point six steals, and two point three blocks. Uh, Famously finished f- with for the first time leading the finals or any playoff series, I believe, in points, rebounds, assists, steals, and blocks. So the only guy to ever do that. <laughs> um, his points were the 12th most for a finals MVP. Jordan had 41 in 93 for number one. And this is going back to 1969, the first year that there was a finals MVP. Um, rebounds were the 14th ever. Wilt had 23.2 in 1972. Um, he's the second among forwards on that list to Larry Bird in 84. He had 14. He had the fourth most assists ever. Uh, Magic had 13, averaged 13 1987. The uh, the sixth most steals ever. Uh, Rick Barry had 3.5 in 1975. And the seventh most blocks ever. Duncan had 5.3 blocks in uh, 2003. Um, as uh, he was the third player to record a triple-double in the Game 7 of the Finals, joining Jerry West in 1969 and James Worthy in 1988. Uh, as we mentioned, Draymond almost joined that club. Not quite. But um, remarkable performance. Uh Obviously, and uh, I, I, you know, I, I, it's it's hard to kind of judge the um, everyone in in terms of a Finals MVP, but it, it is certainly among the best uh, Finals that uh, uh, that I've ever seen from one player. Especially, we're going to get into it a little bit uh, down for the down, but um, games uh, five and six, his performances there are just like incredible. Yeah, it's it's amazing. Yeah, it's 
his playoff line as well and his finals line is, is just incredible. I mean, his, his you know, finals line, 29.7 points per game, 11.3 rebounds per game, 8.9 assists per game, uh, 26.5 game score uh, throughout the entire finals. Uh, I, I did just kind of for a little fun. I said, that's a pretty good line. Let's see how many seasons <laughs> are comparable to that. How many guys had seasons that are even remotely comparable? That's the 29 points per game, all that sort of stuff. Uh, 75 guys in history. I uh, had seasons with comparable numbers to what LeBron did, but that's still, I mean, we're talking about in the NBA history, all those guys, uh, and that's what LeBron did in the NBA Finals against a 73-win Golden State Warriors team. So it's just uh, just a really remarkable uh, achievement for him. Right, absolutely, yeah. And, um, uh, yeah, and again, he, he led the team back from 3-1, to one, which had never happened in the Finals before, against a team that had not dropped three straight since the fall of 2013. I mean, yeah, I mean, the, the, the Warriors lost nine playoff games um, after they'd lost nine regular season games, which, you know, is just uh, just remarkable. But um, he's, he's, so for Steph, uh, yeah, well, I mean, for, for LeBron, I mean, obviously his finals record is now it, it would have been two and five. Now it's three and four, which sounds a lot better. Um, there was a 538 article, which I thought was interesting on what LeBron's finals record should be. And really, um you, you know, to me, the the one finals in which the his team lost that really should have won, I think, was the Mavericks series in 2011, and and even that really, uh, you know, wasn't that necessarily that um huge of a um you know, there wasn't necessarily that as huge of a difference between those teams as people think, um you know the rest of the time you know basically um. The the result the the favored team won the result. I mean, two thousand seven, his team had no chance. Uh, no, yeah, <laughs> uh, the Spurs. He carried a very not the Drew Gooden. Le- yeah, <laughs> when Drew Gooden's your second best player, like that's probably not great. Or your second or third best player, right. that's probably it, not uh, not ideal. Yeah, it was not good. Um, so uh, so yeah, two thousand seven, uh, he had no chance. Uh, Twenty eleven, you know, the, it uh, he should have won that series. But it, actually, I think it was a performance kind of like what the Warriors did, where they kind of. Um, you know, the Warriors just kind of, um, didn't really, they had the better talent, but just didn't have like the, it just didn't seem to have the resolve or didn't have, weren't playing together. It just weren't quite right in the same series. And and part of it, and there was, and it took, it it took an all time great performances from multiple Mavericks as well. I mean, you had like, you had Dirk playing out of his mind, you had Jason Kidd playing out of his mind, like, you know, just a ton of guys, Tyson Chandler, just like playing great defense. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So there was like multiple revelations that had to occur on the other side of the court uh, to really make it. And it was still even like a a super close series. So yeah. And like, I agree. I I think there are very high or or a lot of contrast between, you know, that, uh, you know, this year's Warriors team and that uh, Miami Heat team. So I I, I definitely agree with that. Right. And then, you know, 2012, 2013, his teams win. Uh, 2014, uh, the Spurs killed the Heat, but LeBron played really well, which is everyone else didn't uh, deliver in that series. Uh, 2015 with the Warriors, he, you know, the the fact that the Cavs (laughs) went to six in that, I mean, he did about as much as he could. He did not, his shooting, his efficiency was not good, but just his, you know, he, he produced so much and was, had to, take on such an, a high amount of role on offense. And um, so I, I think you, you, he did about as much as he, as you could have expected um, of a player there. And then, you know, this year he, um, he, he stepped up in some ways it was even better. Um, and uh, he hit, I think the big difference was he was able to, uh, you know, when he started making some open jumpers in, um, in game five, that really, I think turned things around that, that changed how uh, the uh, Cavs were defended and it just, it, you know, it, and I, th- I think it just changed the um, uh, the tenor of the series. Yeah, he was back to peak LeBron. I mean, that yeah. that 
you talked about that Miami Heat series where they were no doubters and they were definitely the favorite teams. I mean, that was LeBron at that time. He was like, uh, you know, a no doubt, super efficient player that could hit it from, you know, 15. He could hit threes okay and then would also just destroy you in the paint as well, uh, like he's always wanted to do. So it, it was, yeah, it was the return of peak LeBron uh, and, you know, Kyrie morphing into a peak Allen Iverson as well. So it's a, it's a nice little uh, one-two combo there. Yeah. Absolutely. So, you know, as far as Steph and the Warriors go, I mean, how do you feel it changes the 73 wins for you that the the, that accomplishment or and and how should people uh, view it? Yeah, how should how people should and how they will. Right. Or, or, probably a different or, or story. You, or, yeah. you know, how, me me personally, yeah. it doesn't it doesn't affect me one way or another. I think that's still a tremendous accomplishment. And I spent the entire weekend, of course, living in Chicago, having to say, hey, look, guys, it's still that doesn't take anything away from the fact that they won 73 games in the regular season. You know, you can say all you want about, oh, well, if they don't win the rings, who cares? You know, the Bulls, yay. But like they still they won more games than the Bulls in the regular season. Like that's just a fact. So I think you can't take that away from them that they were, you know, you can still put them in the conversation as arguably or not even arguably the best regular season team in, in history. I think that remains, you know, of course people are going to look at it because they didn't win the ring that, that all oh, that season's a disappointment and to affect it, it maybe is. And maybe we then look at this and maybe other teams look at this as an example of, and, and I don't know if this is exactly fact. I don't know if the, what the reasons were, but maybe other teams look at this and go, Hey, this team went all out to capture this record. That's what they wanted to do. They mentioned at the beginning of the season, that's something they wanted to do. They killed themselves to get to this record, get to 73. But ultimately, if you don't win the championship, you know, those guys go home disappointed. Everybody's a little disappointed, even though they had that accomplishment. So it's a, a thing where maybe you look at and go, you know, at some point, maybe it would have been a good idea for them to say, Hey, let's take our foot off the pedal. Let's get healthy. Let's do that sort of stuff stuff but there's a lot of stuff that happened in the playoffs as well that just I, I don't know if you can say is a direct relation or correlation between going for those 73 you know there were little injuries that happened there was Steph Curry slipping on you know a wet spot or whatever. like things happen like that happened so it, to me like part of me wants to say oh the, the them going for 73 is the reason why they sort of seem to slow down in this finals and slow down this playoffs but I mean they still made it to seven games in the NBA finals so they didn't slow all that much but then a part of me also like says, again, you know, they made it to the game seven of the NBA finals. They made it all the way here. They made a miraculous comeback against, you know, Oklahoma City. And if not for just a few little fluke injuries here and there, Andre Iguodala's back acting up, you know, uh, Andrew Bogut, his problem, and then Steph Curry, who never looked 100% through the entire series, really. Those are kind of just fluky things that happen as well. So, I mean, for me, it's not going to change what I think of that 73 wins. I think that's still a tremendous accomplishment. But there will be talk about, hey, you know, was that the right plan if the, the goal was to win an NBA championship. Should you have gone for that 73 if you really wanted to win the title? I don't know if that's entirely fair, though. Yeah, I, I admire the audacity of going for 73. And, you know, that's like, you know, a an amazing accomplishment. Obviously, not winning the title, I think, just, just changed, like, it makes that um, it's still impressive, but it makes that less like exciting because, you know, the end, end result was different than they wanted. I mean, yeah, obviously, I'm sure that they're disappointed about it and they, you know, might think that, hey, you know, maybe if we didn't if we took it a little bit easier during the season, we would have had more energy for the the playoffs. And, and who knows whether that's true or not. Um, uh, you know, I, I do think that it's interesting how they are viewed I feel like the conversation around them has um, has changed a bit. And um, there's always been some critics of like kind of the style they play and feeling like it doesn't last and feeling like they, um, I, I, you know, that that they just don't play in a way that people feel like has um, lasting power, which I don't agree with. But I, I, I think there's just some threat of, you know, that this team threatens the status, status quo in a way that 
makes people uncomfortable. I mean, it's similar to, I think, you know, st- the stuff that we've read about um, how, you know, you, you know, what um, was written about, you, you know, big guys like uh, Russell and Chamberlain when they, you know, first came in the league. It's like, oh, these giant guys are going to ruin the the game. And right, pass the ball more. Right. The game is predicated on passing, not yeah, scoring. Or, or, oh, yeah. yeah, or the idea of don't jump, you know, don't take jump shots. Because, yeah, yeah it, right. it, I think it, I feel like it, it's a little bit of that. I mean, I understand where some of these people are coming from. You know, I. I, I certainly don't want everyone to play the same way. I, I you know, a, a team that um, plays in the most analytics friendly way, like Houston with taking a lot of threes and uh, and shooting at the rim, they're not the most fun game team to watch. So I, I think it can lead to um, basketball that isn't fun to watch. But the Warriors, you know, for the most part, I mean, they're incredibly fun to watch and they share the ball and they. Yes. And they went away from some of those things, honestly, during the finals, whether that was just, um, you know, just the Cavs made it hard for them to do so. The injuries played effect, you know, guys lost confidence, what have you. Um, you know, they really became more of a jump shooting. Nate Duncan made made this point that they really became you know, kind of the team that uh, people criticized them for. They were this more of this jump shooting team and they weren't getting to the rim and they weren't kind of doing the, uh, you know, the things that were hard for them. Um yeah, oh, the final few minutes was Steph just kind of dribbling and then taking a shot when the guy was in it. It's like, right. oh, okay, yeah. like, Which, like that's not really how you guys yeah, played. Like, yeah. you know that, right? He, like, he can do that. I mean, obviously, he can make those incredible shots from incredible distances and, and can get them off in, um, you know, in in a very very small amount of space. So that, that's you know one of the things that makes him incredibly great. But, um, but yes, they they usually do that after like ball movement and after running, and you know they don't necessarily ISO so much and just you know kind of. Um, let him work. I mean, I mean you know, some of that was on switches on uh, on big men, and usually he can totally beat those guys. And he was doing that <laughs> as much, um, you know, during after the injury, which you know, like like I said, most people. Will, yeah, I, mean, I think you can say like you know there was this injury, and and it can just be you know part of what happened. It's not necessarily an excuse. Like the Cavs earned their victory, and they should be proud of it. And you know, uh, but you know, it, it it was a thing that existed. But you know, you know, one thing for me that that this kind of leads to is that um, it's obviously going to change people's how they feel about Steph, how they felt about his season, which is one of the great offensive seasons of all time. Uh, he earned the MVP, and he, I, I think it was right for him to be the unanimous MVP. There was no other really strong choice to me. Um, but there is, um, you, you know, I, I do wonder if that's, if any, like, slip in health and athleticism affects him more than it might affect an elite other elite players because of just the narrow windows in which he's able to, you know, get an advantage of somebody, get a shot off on somebody. If those, if it's just a tiny bit less and those windows close, you know, is he going to decline quicker than a lot of elite players do? I mean, I guess the question is how long can he sustain that level of greatness? And is it realistic to expect him to be that great next year? Is he going to drop down? You know, I mean, I, I don't think, I think he's going to be a very good player for a very long time and a great player for a while. But I, I, I just wonder, like, if this if if both kind of seeing him at not quite his superpowers and also maybe what's happened in the last couple of rounds of the playoffs with how teams have sort of dealt with him, um, is this going to change, you know, how how he performs going forward and how people deal with him? going forward? Yeah. Yeah, I think you can definitely uh, see some case there because uh, that was something that you know privately I think you and I have talked about and people have talked about is you know this guy you know he's he's, he's able to get these shots off so quick and he's able to just be lightning quick and all that sort of stuff if he loses a step even if it's a quarter of a step a half a step anything like that 
what's going to happen? You know, is it going to be something where this guy now is just kind of an okay player, really still really good, but not quite the, you know, world beater that we've always seen? Like, I think everybody's kind of assumed that there was going to be somewhat of a shelf life on the world beater thing. But for me, it's not really fair to say quite yet because God only knows if he comes back next year and he's just just good. You know what I mean? Like people are going to seem kind of silly and we're sort of reacting to these one little series or whatever. But I think we did see a little peek into the future of, hey, this is what could, you know, when he approaches 30 or whatever, when he passes 30, like this could be the stuff that we're used to seeing, but it's still pretty damn good. You know, it's not, you know, a unanimous MVP and that might be over and that peak might be over, but it's hard. I mean, we might seem silly now if he comes back next year and has an even better season. You know what I mean? Like, so it's kind of hard to react on that but I think it was an interesting little look into what a slower less athletic maybe a little tired Steph Curry does look like um, but yeah it, it's hard to really judge of what's going to happen in the future just based off you know this series or these playoffs alone absolutely um, so do you would you like to see part three Warriors and Cavs in the finals is that something that you think would be <sighs> It, I think for me, it depends on what happens with Kevin Durant. If Kevin Durant comes back and maybe does a one-year deal or something like that, or he does whatever it is, I, I would, I really do want to see a Westbrook, uh, a peak Westbrook, peak Durant versus LeBron Cavs. I think that I would really, really love to see okay. if possible. If you know something had, or you know, it, would it, would it? kill me to have this again no absolutely not because it'd be a sweet little rubber match like we're wrestling fans you got to get the rematch right like sure. you got to do that so but uh yeah part of me i really want to see that peak thunder team do it but if you know durant goes elsewhere or whatever he does or whatever happens with the thunder if that if that can occur i think this is the next best step for me i i really do want to see a, a durant westbrook uh versus the Cavs series but i i wouldn't be shedding any tears if we saw the rubber match between these two yeah absolutely not and um yeah, I, I I I think it would be enjoyable. I mean, obviously, um, I wouldn't mind something new too because I don't like it when uh, the same team always um, is, is doing the same thing. But I, I do think that overall, um, if if we got a third matchup, I mean, that there would be some incredible history there. We've we've never had the same three t- same two teams in a uh, finals matchups three years in a row, so that would be a, some neat history. But obviously, a lot of things are going to happen between now and then. I mean, I would think they would. Both those teams would be favorites to win their conferences again and, and make it to the playoffs. But, you know, the Warriors came very close to uh, losing to the Thunder. So, uh, you know, they'll be going after them. You never know with the Spurs and, you know, some and whatever happens in free agency may lead some of the teams to um, be, um, um, uh, you know, he might be, um, you know, I mean, there are so many things that can happen. So, absolutely. Um, all right, so who is our favorite first-time uh, champion on the Cavs? The the the, the ring-chasing uh, veteran, for uh, <laughs> lack of a better term. I mean, Richard Jefferson, he certainly is the, uh, you know, he's like, I mean, yeah, the fact that he I contributed so much in uh, the series is just is kind of wild, you know? Mo Williams got playing time, too. Who, who knew, like, all of a sudden, out of nowhere, it's like, oh, Mo Williams, we're going to play him a lot. Like, that was, uh, I, I think I got to go Jefferson, though, especially with the I'm going to retire now moment. You know, with the cigar, ready to go, and goes. You know what? Yeah, I think I'm done. I'm I'm gonna retire. I, I think I'm gonna go Richard Jefferson with my pick. Okay. Uh, there's a few good ones, but I I, I like just because you know I was watching that game with a few people that that don't follow the NBA as closely as me, and they go, oh my, like the first thing out of their mouths when when you know he entered the game was, oh my god, Richard Jefferson's still in the league, and I went, yeah, and, and yeah. you'll see, he's pretty he's pretty good still. Sure. Like he's not like he's not that Richard Jefferson. He's not gonna like get an alley oop from Jason Kidd and throw it down, but uh, he's a solid, dependable player at this point. So no, I I, I think I'm gonna go with Richard Jefferson. Uh, just because he's been so many different places and so many different things, and he's his career's had just so many different arcs as well. Because like this is not like this Richard Jefferson isn't even remotely 
close to the Richard Jefferson that we saw uh, that entered the league. So I always like that when like those guys. Like I love like Vince Carter on Memphis. You know, on Memphis. That's like my favorite thing ever. That it's like slow old Vince that gets like blocked by the rim when he tries to dunk and just like shoots corner threes. Like that always fascinates me when that guys go from that to that or whatever. So I think I'm gonna go Jefferson. Yes, uh, I'm gonna go with Mo Williams. I just because you know he had the first time around in Cleveland and that didn't work out, and now he's you know and he's uh, he had that crazy uh, 52 point game with the uh, the Wolves and that was last season, um, which is pretty amazing. And um, <laughs> uh, you know he he's come full circle and and again I f- I feel like with the uh, on this team it, it's been uh, it's cool to have him be part of it. He actually you know made some uh, once uh, Del Dova became unplay- unplayable he suddenly uh, became uh, a guy who uh, could contribute. So that was that was nice. Yeah, you know, he, he, and- he did some good stuff. And Mo, I think that's a really good point that you brought up. I mean, Mo Williams is the second best player on what I think would would have been that Cavs team that would have just steamrolled into the NBA Finals that one year. You know, of course, they got upset by Orlando. I'm blanking on the year. I think 2008 or 2009, right? 2009, I think, was the year. I, I, I'm blanking on the year or whatever. That, that was that Cavs team that was just, they won, you know, 60-plus games. They had swept everybody. And then they got to Orlando and it was like, ah, crap. Like, we have no answer for Shard Lewis, no answer for Hito Turgaloo. And they got upset. Of course, Orlando goes to the finals and they end up losing as well. But that's a Cavs team that, with Mo Williams as probably the second-best player on that team, had a very good chance of winning the title. Then it was all taken away, and then the decision, and then you know him and him and LeBron had a falling out, and then they kind of came back together, you know, with with this Cleveland thing. So yeah, I, I like Mo as a, as a choice as well, but I, I'm still going to go Jefferson. But uh, Channing Fry, I don't think any of us are going to pick because he's not old enough yet. Yeah, got to earn a few more stripes there, kid. Before... Uh, so uh, so the block, we got to talk about the block um, because not only is it among the pantheon of great finals you know game saving moments or game winning moments it also fits among like the transcendent athletic plays in finals history like it like it belongs in both things which is you know uh, almost unprecedented because all uh, the rest of those things are either one or the other but not both you know and and for me yeah. you know obviously there's jordan's steel and shot in 1998 um there's magic's baby hook in 1987 the um uh, the, the John Paxson and Steve Kerr jumpers in 93 and 97, uh, both off of passes from Jordan, I believe. Uh, George King, uh, game-saving steal for the Nationals off of Andy Phillip in 955. We talked about that in our Game 7 uh, podcast before. Um, and uh, Vinnie Johnson jumper in a 1994, the Pistons, to seal off their second uh, championship. And, you know, the, the transcendent athletic plays in finals history is the one that we see over and over again. Uh, Dr. J. Circus shot around the backboard against the Lakers in 1980, Game 4. Uh, Jordan's hand-switching layup in 91, Game 2, also against the Lakers. Um, and then one I'd forgotten about, but it's another staple of highlight plays, the Larry Bird following the miss with the rebound, switching his hands and suddenly, and, and flipping the shot around the backboard. That was 1981. <coughs> and then Jerry Wiss, uh, 60 foot, a game tying shot against the Knicks in 1970, although in overtime, the Knicks won that series, but, or the, the game and then would win the series. So, um, you know, when, when you're talking about that level of thing, I feel like it is just totally right there and there's that extra irony that i love that he got it against Iguodala, of course yeah who, oh yeah. yeah that makes it so much more important right who who was the guy who defended him uh you know really effectively last year and, and won the mvp and then you know to to, to get the guy and to win the series and i mean he was already finals mvp but to just get punctuated by by beating him and i and i, I think Iguodala is great so i i not to i just thought it was incredible and there's also you know that not not just that but also the key moments of uh, Kyrie hitting the three-pointer right in front of Curry and then 
of uh, being able to you know, malign for his defense, obviously, but able to you know, he got the switch on the on on Curry, and then Curry was trying to uh, you know get around him to just get a, a three point shot off, and Love just you know stuck with it and defended him really well, and um and was able to prevent him from getting any kind of good shot, and you know those were you know the kind of the three key plays down the stretch that uh, that that sealed the game for the Cavs. I think one of the important parts that that I love about this LeBron play and why I think the block is one of the or, or probably would be my favorite finals play or big finals play ever would be the fact that a lot of the other ones that you mentioned, a lot of the other big ones are all kind of smart basketball plays, solid basketball plays. You know, Jordan with the steal, that's nice. And then he hits the shot and, you know, Magic's hook and like these other things. Whereas this one was just the perfect encapsulation of a LeBron James because it's just like the burst of athleticism like we've never seen before the guys put his, his hand is above you know the square on the backboard to chase this guy down where there's an image i don't know if you saw it where Iguodala is at the free throw line and lebron's at the three-point line and if you if i showed you that picture and said yeah by the way this guy blocks that guy you would be stunned by that and it's andre Godal, who's a very athletic guy himself in his own right of course you know he's hampered by a little bit of back injuries as well but i think that part of it just adds so much because it's such a perfect LeBron moment that it's just this this burst of just unbelievable athleticism that that saves the series and wins his team the game and that's there's just so much in that and so much extra that that's put on there like you said again also with it being Udala who stopped him last year who helped you know stop him last year and won the MVP and now LeBron sort of taking the MVP away from him winning a championship for Cleveland you know showing this unbelievable stuff I mean there's just so much into that one play and just like it was one that you just had to keep seeing and seeing on replays and you saw a different thing every time you saw it it was like oh my God, he did this, or oh my God, I can't believe he came from there. So I think there's just so much in that play to love and and, and really adore uh, as an all-time great moment. So as far as best performances in a finals game go, um, LeBron with his game five and game six uh, had two of the top three game scores in a finals game uh, since 1984. That's as far as the stat goes back, according to basketballreference.com. Game five was a 39.2 game score, the third best ever, 41. 16 rebounds, seven assists, three steals, and three blocks. Game say 42.5 game score, number one number, 41 points, eight rebounds, 11 assists, four steals, and three blocks. So not bad. The second uh, greatest, uh, Tim Duncan, game one of 2003 series, 32 points, uh, 20 rebounds, seven blocks. Uh, Jordan, his 55 point game in 93, 55 points. Uh, eight rebounds, four assists. Number five was Shaq in uh, 2000, 43 points, 19 rebounds. Number six, Charles Barkley. Uh, Barkley actually had, uh, he, I think he had number six and number nine on this list. Uh, pretty impressive for being only in one finals. Uh, in 93, 42 points, 13 rebounds, uh, four assists. And as we mentioned before, Draymond's game seven among the top here was the eighth best game score ever and the, the best ever in a, a game seven. So, uh, so those top performances and, and LeBron having number one and number three, obviously very impressive. Um, the players with the most game scores above 30, uh, Jordan has eight, Shaq has eight, LeBron has five, Magic had five, Wade had four, Burden Worthy had three. Worthy kind of a surprise on that list. Uh, Duncan and Barkley had two. And then other guys are, um, are Kobe, Clyde Drexler, 
Draymond, Kyrie, Iverson, Dennis Johnson, Richard Lewis, Carl Malone. Richard yeah. Lewis. <laughs> Welcome. Uh, uh, um, Isaiah and Russell Westbrook. So um, uh, so, so pretty uh, impressive uh, list there. Uh, if you look at some of the greatest finals games of all time, um, there may be others that I, you know, they're, they're, I, it's hard to kind of find a definitive list of this. <laughs> so if I miss your favorite, I apologize. But just some of the best ones. <laughs> some of the best ones from before. <laughs> 84, uh, Magic Johnson's Game 6 in 1980, 42 points, 15 rebounds, 7 assists, and 3 steals. Uh, Walt Frazier in Game 7 uh, in 1970, 36 points, 19 assists, 7 rebounds. Um, Elgin Baylor, Game 5 in 62, 61 points and 22 rebounds. So that's the most points ever in a uh, in a finals game. Uh, Bill Russell in Game 7 at 62 series, 30 points and 40 rebounds. Not so Not too bad. Um, Bob Pettit in uh, 58, Game uh, game 6, which is the deciding game. Uh, First player to score 50 points in a series, and only Pettit, Baylor, Jordan, Rick Barry, and Jerry West have scored 50 or more in a finals game. Uh, Bill Walton in 1977, Game 6, 20 points, 23 rebounds, 7 assists, and 8 blocks. And then Jerry West, Game 7, 1969, uh, 42 points, 13 rebounds, 12 assists, and a losing effort, giving him the finals MVP, famously uh, the only... Uh, the first Finals MVP and the only uh, player to to get it in a losing effort. So, um, and as we mentioned, uh, only LeBron, Weston, where they've had triple doubles in a Game Seven, and uh, LeBron's triple double was the twenty second NBA Finals triple double of all time. He has seven in his career, and the next closest is Magic with uh, six. So, so that is uh, that, that's not too bad. Not a lot of I, if you if Magic and um, LeBron have 13 of them. That is uh, not, not going to leave too many for other players. <laughs> no, no, not at all. Um, so the uh, some of the greatest teams to uh, never win the title. Of course, the, uh, the Warriors are now on that list. Uh, the only team with a higher SRS, which is basketball references um, – it's sort of their like point differential plus uh, strength of schedule margin to just sort of you know a better job of measuring a team's um, uh, greatness other than wins and losses. Um, the uh, the seventy two bucks had a the fourth best all time SRS, but they they the only reason they lost the scale they lost to the seventy two Lakers who had a uh, a uh, slightly better SRS and um, were a sixty nine win team. So. Um, the the Warriors uh, had a ten. Uh, the Warriors had a ten point three eight uh, SRS, which was sixth all time, and the Spurs had a, a ten point two eight SRS, seventh of all time. They of course did not win either. They lost to the um, they lost to the Thunder in the playoffs. So that's two teams among the um, among the seven best SRS teams in history. That lost in the same playoffs. Uh, they did not win the uh, the championship. So that's certainly quite a um, a, a thing. Um, Eleven out of the top twenty seven SRS uh, NBA teams did not win championships. Sixteen of them did. Uh, four of those were ma- I would consider major upsets, and the two that I just mentioned happened in this postseason. So this is a really mm-hmm. historical postseason for uh, that reason. So as far as where this kind of rates among the uh, finals upsets, um, the Cavs were 57 and 25 with a 5.45 SRS, which is fourth in the league. 
The Warriors, of course, 73 wins, a 10.38 SRS. So that's by far the biggest differential when it comes to an upset. I, I think the two that are the closest in terms of the um, in terms of this upset, um, something that you could look at in history, the 2011 Mavs beating the Heat, but that that was actually fairly mm-hmm. close and only a one win differential between the two teams. 2006, the Heat beating the uh, Mavs, the the, the um, a little bit more of an upset. It was an eight-win differential. Uh, actually, even though the 2004 Pistons is considered an upset, the uh, Pistons actually had a better SRS than the uh, Lakers did that season. Uh, the Lakers not quite at full strength through most of that season because of Carmelo's Malone's injury, so you could argue that wasn't the best measure. But, um, right, right, right. But some of the better ones are the 95 Rockets, who had a, a 2.32 SRS and had 10 fewer wins than the 57-win Magic, who had a 6.44 SRS. And the Rockets famously beat uh, three teams with uh, with close to 60 wins or more uh, during that playoff run before they got to the Magic. So, Yeah, and, we, and we've talked yeah. about that team as well pretty extensively, of like a team that in the first half was like, you know, dead to rights, had nothing, and then just turned it on in the last half so their record probably doesn't match up with their talent level but still yeah to go through the gauntlet they went through uh to eventually win the title is, is certainly uh definitely worth noting and probably right up there as a great yeah upset. the 75 warriors um who were a 48 win team they had a 2.86 srs which is fourth in the league and then they beat the bullets who had 60 wins and a 6.53 srs so, so that's a yeah, that might be number one. That's pretty me. strong. And it's funny because the Warriors actually are a pretty similar team in some respects to this Cavs team. Uh, they were centered around uh, Rick Barry, who was their star. Um, uh, he was uh, like sort of a dominant uh, wing player, um, you know, who was a great passer. And uh, he had come back to the Warriors after uh, – after leaving for the NBA and obviously angering a lot of the home fans. And when he came back, they were very happy. And um, although he was not as well liked as LeBron, obviously uh, in many respects, even though there are <laughs> a lot of people who don't like LeBron, but, um, but I, he also carried a very young team that was not expected to do a whole lot in, in, to win a championship. Um, and I, even though expectations were pretty high for the Cavs, I, I feel like the, the, the Warriors dynasty um, or, the, the Warriors looking like they were going to become a dynasty, you know, kind of seemed like it was going to close that window, um, which of course makes the Cavs um, accomplishment even that much more impressive. So uh, yeah, the other ones, uh, the 74 Celtics who had 56 wins, uh, but a much worse SRS, a 3.42 beat the Bucks uh, who had 59 wins in a almost double the SRS. Uh, the other one that uh, from 58, the Hawks uh, who had a point. 0.82 SRS beat the uh, Celtics, who had a 5.01 SRS. So that was a uh, that was a pretty big upset. Um, the only, of course, the, the first loss uh, in uh, Bill Russell's career. Although he would do pretty well by winning the next eight. So <laughs> yes, yes. He, he, so um, so the Cleveland sports curse uh, that of course broke the 52 year Cleveland sports <laughs> curse, uh, finally winning a championship in '64. And you found out how many cities have won a championship in the in the four major sports since then. Uh, yes, there are a total of 36 cities I, I found, and uh, I think I got them all. Someone will probably correct me if I did get them wrong, but I will list them now here uh, for you. You can uh, double check me on the numbers. But you have St. Louis, Los Angeles, Baltimore, Detroit, New York, Pittsburgh, Oakland, Cincinnati, Philadelphia, Kansas City, Minnesota, Toronto, Atlanta, Miami, Phoenix, Anaheim. I guess you could call it Anaheim with Los Angeles, but we're going to count them separate for the purposes of this. Boston, Chicago, San Francisco, Green Bay, Dallas, Washington, D.C., Denver, Tampa Bay, Indianapolis, New Orleans, Seattle, Milwaukee. 
Milwaukee, Portland, Houston, San Antonio, Montreal, Edmonton, Calgary, East Rutherford slash Newark, and then also Raleigh, North Carolina. So, <laughs> of course, the last two are uh, the last uh, four, uh, five, you could probably assume, are from the NHL, of course. But uh, Raleigh, North Carolina, not uh, not well known for their sports franchises. But still, yeah, they uh, all won titles before old Cleveland yes, did. There so. you go. Um so yes, yeah, so the uh, the Cavs have now moved onto the list of um, nineteen teams that have, um, or I, I, I'm excuse me, twenty teams that have won um, championships in either the NBA or the ABA. The teams that have not won championships are the Hornets, the Nuggets, the Clippers, the Grizzlies, the Timberwolves, the Pelicans, the Magic, the Suns, the Raptors, and the Jazz. Um, the Hawks, the Nets, the Thunder, and the Kings have all have championships in their franchises, but not in their current city. And the Pacers, Bucks, Knicks, 76ers, Blazers, and Wizards have not won a championship in the past 30 years. So the 10 franchises that anyone under the age of 40 actually remembers winning a title are now the Cavs, <laughs> the Celtics, the Bulls, the Mavericks, the Pistons, the Warriors, the Rockets, the Lakers, the Heat, and the Spurs. So, um, and under, if you want to say under 30, uh, the, uh, the Rockets are, um, I guess probably probably under 25, the Rockets and the Bulls are uh, coming very close to being uh, knocked off that list, which is pretty incredible to think about. But That's very sad well, to think you know, about. So thank you for, for you know, joining, making me all, now uh, also we're all getting getting older, Rich. So that's you know, it's uh, that's inevitability true. of time. Yeah. But, um, <laughs> but, yeah, and, of course, the, the Warriors and the uh, the Cavs have been added to that uh, recent uh, champions list, the, the Mm-hmm. Um and, and the war and the Cavs joining that uh, list, so it, it's really hard to win a championship. I guess is the um is the point of that. And anyone listening to this probably knows that, but it's still um it's a remarkable achievement. It was a great uh, game seven and uh just a, a, a really fun to, uh, to 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 think about and to talk about and to explore. And uh, so I'm glad we got a chance to uh get, get, we're actually going to take a longer hiatus, but we decided we had to come back and and talk about this. And now we're going to take a a break for a few weeks. Uh, get ready for our uh, summer uh, mis- basketball mysteries of the 1970s series, which I think hopefully people are excited to hear. And uh, it's going to be fun. Absolutely, yeah. So uh, back definitely in the summer. It's gonna be an awesome, awesome series. We got some uh, pretty cool guests already lined up, or ones that we're sort of working with. So it, it's, I, I think it's gonna be spectacular. I, I, I know people love last year's, uh, you know, top fifty player. Uh, a top 50 of all time, you know, ranking and re-ranking and all that sort of stuff and the 50 greatest thing. That that was awesome, but I think, I really do think this one, I mean, uh, now that we're sort of sinking our teeth into doing the research and stuff, it's really, really going to be a lot of fun, and I, I think everyone's going to enjoy it as well. Yeah, um, I, I hope so. So um, we should be, sometime early July, we should be having starting that one out. We're going to let uh, free agency kind of play out for a little bit and the draft, of course, and um, and, and then come back at you once, uh, once you've had all your free agency uh Phil, once you need a little, little uh, NBA history to uh, get you through uh, the rest of the uh, summer, we're going to be here for you for that. So hopefully that works out well. Uh, in the meantime, um, you can find us on uh, Twitter and Facebook uh, over and, at Over and Back NBA for both. Um, please, uh, we're on iTunes and Stitcher. If you want to uh, leave a rating and review, we would uh, greatly appreciate that. We uh, A good one. We would prefer. Um and I don't know, Rich, is there anything else? HarvardProcesses.com. Uh, go there and, and yeah, find yeah. us. Uh, we, we both have been writing there a little bit, so we, you can find our – we've been writing about NBA history, and, of course, our podcasts are uh, posted there. Uh, so, so yeah. That's it. I All think right, cool. Well, thanks, everyone, for checking us out. We'll be back again soon.
This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.